Last week, we started this series, no, not today, Satan. We got into the schemes of the devil, what he's all about. He is a decided fact. Anybody remember? He is a destructive force. Amen? And he is a... There you go. That's exactly right. And we stand on that and we thank God for that. We also learned last week that there are two options that we have in life. There are two options. Uh, we learned in Scripture that Satan came for two things. He came to, or, or three things actually, steal, kill, and destroy. He, he ultimately came so that we would know death. But Jesus came that we would have what? Life. Life. And have it how? Abundantly. Abundantly. So we have two choices, death or life. Those are the choices. And here's what Paul said in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul said we are to be strong in the Lord and in his might. Not in our strength, not in our might. We don't have the strength. We don't have the might. To face the enemy on our own, it's only in Christ that we have that. And so he tells us to do that. Satan comes, we see in this passage of Scripture, with schemes. But the Lord comes in great power and in strength. We also learned last week that Satan has three schemes. We know he's got schemes. What are those three schemes? In 1 John 2, 16, I don't think it's on the screen, but I want to share it with you again from last week. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Uh, he used these in the garden uh, with Adam and Eve. He tried to use them with, Satan, with uh, Jesus, Satan did, and he uses it against us every day, doesn't he? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Pride of life, that is pleasure, possessions, and position. Now, I want to make something really clear. And I didn't really clarify this last week, but I want to make it clear today as I'm speaking to you. Uh, pleasure and possessions and position in and of themselves are not evil, okay? It's good to work hard and get a promotion. Nobody's saying that's wrong. It's good to, to you know, to work hard. And if you can, you know, you upgrade from the 32-inch television to the 55-inch. And some of y'all got the 70-inch. And some of y'all's wall is just made out of a television. You know, I mean, whatever you want to do, uh, pleasure the same way. But it's the overindulgence of these things. That's what's wrong. That's when it becomes wrong. The Bible says something about money says that the love of money is what? The root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 teaches us that. We all need money. We know that. We, you got to buy gas. You got to buy groceries. You got to live somewhere. It takes money to do those things. But when we love money, what does money become? Our idol. It becomes our God. And we are, all we're thinking about is, is man, I got to get, I got to get, I got to get. We live in a pleasure-crazed culture. We live in a possession-crazed culture, in a position-crazed culture. We live in a culture where things are taken to the extreme. And so we're going to look at these things over the next three weeks to, that we have together as we go through this. And today I want us to look at the lust of the flesh, pleasure, the lust of the flesh, what God uh, 
put there. He, he, he made us to enjoy things. He gave us the ability to enjoy things. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, put your hope in God who richly provides for us everything for our what? Enjoyment, Right? He provides those things for our enjoyment. God gave us five senses. Each were designed to enhance pleasure. They're designed so that we can experience this life that he's given us to the fullest. The problem is, if we don't put pleasure in the right context, it moves beyond being good and becomes a God. And the sad reality is Paul's prediction in 2 Timothy 3 seems to be coming true. Beginning in verse 1, it says, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of pleasure and, and all these other things rather than lovers of God. We will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We're all susceptible to thinking that says, I just want to be happy. You ever felt that way? You ever said that? Anybody in here, don't raise your hand. Ever said, I, well, I deserve to be happy. I deserve. What did I say a couple of weeks ago? If we all got what we deserved, me included, I'd be a greasy spot right here on this stage, all right? I just want to feel good. If it isn't fun, I don't want to do it. And that's, that's kind of where we are, and that's what we do as a society. We want to be happy. We want to do what's easy and what makes us feel good. And, and Satan traps us in that thinking. But as we look at this today, I want us to look at why that, it's important to know that we need to combat that. We need to combat that with the Word of God. We need to combat that in His strength and in His might. And so let's first look at why it's important. Why we need to know what these things are and what they lead to. When pleasure is out of whack in our life and we overindulge in it, it leads to boredom. Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. And he went through a season in his life and he got caught up in a trap. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he describes the lesson he learned. He said, in my heart, or I said in my heart rather, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also, or this also rather was vanity. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all uh, that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was what? Vanity. And a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. You can almost hear the boredom in his voice when he basically says, I got all I wanted. I didn't withhold anything from myself and whoop-de-doo. I got a bunch of stuff. But deep down at the core of who I am, there was still something missing. Maybe you're here today and you've tried to fill that void with everything under the sun and you're sitting here today going, I still am not fulfilled. I don't know why, I don't know what's going on, but God, I, I, something's missing. Can't believe I forgot to mention this before I started preaching, but when I think about people being fulfilled, 
and people loving God and, and honoring God. I can't help but think of Renz Osiah that's sitting right here on the front row. Renz is back from Liberty. He, he's one of ours. He is our, he's a good, good guy. I've been on missions trips with him. And listen, he found out I was preaching today. He's been on missions trips with me, and he still came in the worship auditorium. So... <laughs> But I want to tell you something. You watch this guy, and I'm not bringing any glory to him because I know he doesn't want any glory. But you want to see a man who worships God with reckless abandon. He just loves and is thankful for what God has done in his life. Man, it's awesome to see that. I just want to welcome you, brother. So good to see you here. He's at Liberty now, full-time, studying for ministry. I'm going to tell you something. We got one more man. And a bunch of ladies I know that are there too that are just going to come out of that school and whop the devil upside the head, okay? In Jesus' name. God bless you, brother. I love you, man. I love you. But we can't find pleasure uh, or, or fill our lives with, with only pleasure, only pleasure, only pleasure, and be content in this world. From the beginning, God established laws. There's all kinds of laws. I've talked about the different laws. I can't use that. Maybe this won't bust. You know, there's the law of gravity. How many of you believe with all your heart that Jesus loves you? No doubt in your mind, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He would do anything for you. He gave his life for you. While you were yet a sinner, when you denied him, he, he, he died for you. But God also created a law. It's called the law of gravity. Right? He loves you with all your heart. Chris, he loves you with all your heart. With all his heart. And your heart. Whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean. If I go outside and climb up on the roof of this building and I say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I know you love me. I know you died for me. I know you gave your life for me. Every single bit of that is true. And I step off. Guess what's going to happen? <laughs> I got her. She jumped. <laughs> Thank you for not busting bottle. <clears throat> it's going to fall just like that, right? Because God established a law. And because God is a just God, and God is a righteous God. The laws that he has established, he holds to, right? We have the law of gravity. We also have some other laws. These are not all of them. I just want to focus on two as we talk about pleasure. But one of them is the law of diminishing returns. It's in your notes. <clears throat> I should have mentioned this earlier. If you go on the... Bridge NC app, you can find the notes there. Since I'm halfway through the sermon now, you can find the notes there and follow along if you go under the bridge Goldsboro. But the law of diminishing returns, here's what the law of diminishing returns says. The more I do something, the more I must do it to get less out of it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to enjoy it the first time, but the next time I'm going to have to give a little more effort and a little more effort to get the same kind of oomph out of it. And then eventually it's going to be like, eh, you know, it's okay. I remember when I was a boy, I went to Six Flags Over Georgia. I grew up in a little town in northeast Georgia, and we were about 90 miles from Atlanta. So it was the closest. It was a little bit closer than Carowind, so we always found ourselves at Six Flags. Well, I'd never ridden a roller coaster before, and I was like 12 years old, and I'm, I'm scared of heights. I told y'all the other day that that's high to me, okay? That right there. And so um, I'm scared of heights and all this jazz, and, and so I, I'm working myself up, and, I, and, and I'm like, I'm going to get on. 
I'm going to get on a roller coaster, but I'm going to get on something easy. I don't want to get on a loop-de-loop-de thing that's going to throw me out, you know, into the pine tree and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. I want to get on something that just goes flat and it's smooth and it's easy as much as possible. So I got on this wooden roller coaster. Now, I'm a, I'm a 12-year-old kid scared to death of heights, scared to death of the whole idea and concept of a roller coaster and I decide I'm going to get on the scream machine you know because that sounds nice and docile right we're going to get on the scream machine well if you've ever ridden a wooden roller coaster you know something else about wooden roller coasters right they will beat the snot out of you you know they're just yeah they're hitting curves they're going up and down and they're old and they're rickety and they sound like they're going to fall in any minute And I remember getting on this roller coaster and had a good friend of mine with me. He was a lot older. I wanted somebody big enough I felt like could hold me in the seat if I started coming out. Because the only thing holding me in was this this bar. And it comes down on your lap, you know. And I remember we we get down and everybody, you know, the, the guys come and they check. And they're like, all right, you're good, you're good, you're good. And then they say, beep, light turns green. And then you kind of roll out and it's and you get to the hill, and you're like, ah, oh, that's not too bad. And then, and then it catches. And then you're clicking. You're clicking, and you're looking, and then you're getting higher and higher and higher. And I'm like, man, what in the world have I done? I've got on this roller coaster. And, and so we get to the very top. We're at the apex of the hill. You know, and the hill's really like this, but it feels like it's that, you know. And, um, and so when we get to the top of the hill, we come over the crest of the hill and I, and I hold onto the bar. And I don't know, it must have been a face like this. I, was, I must have been going, you know, because my buddy is sitting beside me and he says, uh, dude, are you okay? I mean, you, you know. Go through the whole deal. You know, I'm scared to death praying, God, if you will just get me off of this, I will never test you in this way again, (laughs) ever. Got to the end. I survived. I I made it. I made it to the end. Got out of the roller coaster, went and and took a nap because every muscle in my body had been just, you know, like this and, and, uh, and got back on it. Second time I got on it, guess what? Wasn't too bad. Got looking around. You know, and that, but after a while, guess what I had to do? I had to go to the mind bender because it had, it had loop-de-loops in it, you know? I mean, I couldn't just stick with the screen machine. It wasn't enough. The law of diminishing returns was in effect with that roller coaster ride that I went on. And, and the fact that these things are in place aren't necessarily bad. God gave us a desire to grow and to reach and to accomplish, but... When it's applied to pleasure and overemphasis on anything eventually will lead to boredom. And the drive for pleasure will become all-consuming. And it'll be all you think about. And the more you chase it, the more elusive it is. And you'll never, ever, ever find it. So that brings us to the second law that God has established and given to us. And that is the law of balance. The law of balance simply says too much of even a good thing can ruin it. How many of you love going on vacation? You love taking a trip. You like to go on vacation, even if it's a short one over to the beach. That's what's awesome about living here in eastern North Carolina. We're an hour and a half from the beach and three hours from the mountains. You know, I feel like I work for the Chamber of Commerce there. But um, it's, it's great, and it's what we love about being there. But when you get back home from a vacation, 
You know, and somebody asks you, man, how was your vacation? What do we typically say? It was great, but it's good to be home, right? It's good to be home, especially if it's not an all-inclusive vacation that you've gone on. And every day you're gone, you're spending money on food and gas and all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, time to start making money and stop spending all of it. So, um, but, but we're ready to get back to life. Part of what makes life pleasurable is balance. The most miserable people I know are the ones who live for the next pleasure. They're the ones who can't wait. I got I to gotta find that, that next pleasure. I remember when Kirsten and I started dating. Um, you know, we, we, we met and, and, and I, I actually was very, very shy, very nervous, very fearful of being rejected by her. And so she asked me out on a date. And uh, true story, all my friends felt sorry for me, told her that I liked her. And she's like, come on, let's go on a double date just in case you're crazy. And uh, we'll, uh, you know... <laughs> I can get out pretty easy, you know. And, um, and so we go on that date, and, and, and I remember, you know, it probably wasn't that date, but I, rem- I remember the, maybe the first movie we went to, you know, and y'all, you guys know what you do. It's like, man, this, is, this movie is so long, and uh, I'm just, uh. <laughs> she, and she didn't move your arm. Hallelujah, you know. And then, and then, you, and then you, hold, you hold her hand, and, and, and she actually you know, grabs it back. It is not like, um, yes, I will move mine out of the way now. Um, you know, but, but, uh, but, but you have all those experiences and we, and we do all those things. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to find that place where, where we're enjoying one another. But I, I told him in the early service, I said, you know, oftentimes what we're experiencing right there is not, it's not love, it's infatuation. You know, we're just, it's just so new and it's so exciting. But how many of you know that over time that new wears off, right? Sometimes I grab for her hand and she does move it away now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, not, not always not true. <laughs> but, the, but my point is we don't, we don't define the love we have for one another by the way we respond to one another in that way. I don't look at that and say, oh, man, my palms didn't get sweaty again. She's probably thinking, thank God they quit doing that, you know. Um, but, but we define love by, by the commitment that we've made. It isn't about all the things that, that she can do for me or I can do for her. It's that, man, we're just we're committed to this thing and we're so excited to be in relationship with one another. Can I tell you what I just described? That's our relationship with God. That's what he wants. He wants to have such a relationship with us and such a connection with us that we're not looking for the next thing and, and, and saying, man, if I can just get this next emotional response, then, man, I know things will be good between me and God. No, no, no. It is, it is having this balance in our life where we understand whether it's a good time or a bad time, God is faithful, God is real, and God can be trusted and depended on. So, why do we want to, to, to avoid taking pleasure to the extreme? Extreme number two is because it, it destroys my character. When all I'm looking for is the next pleasure, it destroys my character. 
2 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 6, is a passage of Scripture where God is, uh, he, he's, uh, Paul is talking to um, family members of widows. And he's, saying, he's, he's telling them, look, you need to look after the people in your life that, that you know, if, if you've got a parent that's passed away and, and, and your mom or dad needs some help or, or, or whatever, you need to be there for them. And right in the middle of this passage of Scripture where he's teaching that, this verse of Scripture is found in it. In verse 6, it says, But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. And I would argue that that's true for all of us. If we live for pleasure solely, we're dead even while we live. The self-indulgent life is a suicidal life. Just ask Jared Higgins, who died at 21 from an overdose of pills... Heath Ledger, 28. Vern Troyer, alcohol poisoning, 49. Tom Petty, overdosed on pills. You know why I gave you? He was 66 when he died. Because this is not age discriminate. It don't matter how old you are. You may look at your kids and say, I'm old enough. I don't need nobody telling me what to do. Well, mm, you caught up in that. You may need somebody to tell you what to do. We may need somebody to encourage us. Rome didn't fall from external, external enemies. It fell because it was consumed with the lust of the flesh. Now, some of you are sitting there today thinking, man, I am sure glad that preacher ain't talking to me today. Hallelujah. He has wore me out the last couple of weeks, but today he's not talking to me. Well, let me encourage you to do something. Do not let your guard down because this comes in stages. The destruction and the destructive force that comes with pleasure and only seeking pleasure to fulfill whatever desire you may have comes in stages. First one is the fascination stage. I said it last week. Nobody ever wakes up one day and says, today I think I'm going to be fill in the blank. <clears throat> Nobody ever does it. Here's, what they, here's the question they ask. I wonder what it would be like to do that. I wonder what it'd be like if I tried this drug. I wonder what it'd be like if I drank that bottle. I wonder what it would be like if I looked at that. And when they do that, it goes from a fascination to a preoccupation. See, they started with wondering, and then their mind got occupied with that thing, and now they're finding themselves distracted by this new thing in their life. Fascination, preoccupation, then it leads to addiction. Addiction. At this stage, you find yourself saying to family and friends, I'd love to go and do whatever it is you want to do, but I, I'm just busy. I got stuff going on. I, I'm, I'm too busy to do that. In this stage, we begin to see how the enemy uses isolation to put us in a trap. It's what he uses. The law of diminishing returns is kicking in big time right now because we're doing it over and over and over again and we are not getting the same result. It's not working like it used to. It doesn't do for us what it used to do for us. And so what do we end up doing? We go deeper and deeper. And then we'll have a, we'll have a crisis of conscience We'll have that crisis moment with God and we'll say, I've got to turn away from that thing. I can't do it anymore. And we turn and we're doing good. But here's the problem. We're doing it in our own strength. 
We're saying, I'm going to church. I'm celebrating when they get baptized. I sing and clap my hands. Every now and then I even lift my hand. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And that's as far as it goes. It's not about the relationship that you have with Jesus where you're digging in and you're saying, God, I can't do this without you. I won't do it without you. I, I will not succeed without you. We get to that place and, and it leads us to stage number four because we're in, that, we're in that place where it's just like, man, I just, it takes more and more and more and I've, 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 I, got, I got on the wagon and off the wagon and on the wagon and off the wagon and my life is just a mess. And it leads to the destruction stage, which is number four. And Philippians 3.19 says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They do whatever their bodies want. They're proud of their shameful acts and they think only about earthly things. When this happens to us, it starts costing us everything. Everything. When we buy into the schemes of the enemy, I'm sure some of you are wondering, what are these things doing on the stage? These are blocks. And these are the first few blocks that we put up. These are the blocks of pleasure. And we're seeking it every day to fill this void that we have in our life. And what it does is when we start building this wall, it starts separating us from God, separating us from the people of God, separating us from every truth we've ever known. And the enemy has started more and more and more isolating us. Until he gets us right there where he wants us and he can destroy us. Well, I got to tell you something. We're in a series titled, Note, Not Today, Satan. I would say we need to be positioning ourselves to say, Nope. Not today, Satan. I'm fed up with buying into the lies. I'm fed up with buying into the deceit. And I understand that the lust of the flesh, that me seeking pleasure day in and day out, is only a scheme that you use to steal, kill, and destroy me. So, I'm going to put my faith and hope and trust in God. We've seen the why. Now let's look at the how for just a moment. It's 12.05. I was going to say I'll be done in five minutes, but I do not want to lie to you. So I'm going to try. How do we do it? We enjoy balanced living. We enjoy balanced living. Ecclesiastes says there is a time for everything. A time to cry, a time to laugh, a play, to work, a time to be serious, a time to be silly. All are God's will for our life. But the bottom line is we were not designed to do one thing all the time. I'm going to be brutally honest and may get an amen from her in this. I struggle more than anything else with working all the time. I love it. I love to work. I enjoy it. Ministry is not a job for me. It is something I was made to do. I'm thankful for it. Um, I'm not the best preacher you'll ever hear in your life. Not even close. 
but I have a passion for God and I have a passion for the people of God. And, and I love it. But in that, at times, I get things out of whack. I get priorities out of whack. God, I, I am a, let me tell you something else I am when it comes to, to who God is and what his word says to us and what he teaches us. I am a literalist when it comes to God's word, okay? In Genesis 1, he says in six days, he created everything. The heavens, the earth, the animals, the birds, the, us, everything he created. He spoke and it came to life and he did it in six days. And then on the seventh day, the Bible says he did what? He rested. When I don't take the Sabbath, when you don't take the Sabbath, what are we saying to God? Mm. You had a lot going on, Lord, but I'm a little busier than you are. So I'd take seven days to get this thing done. When in reality, it's a time management thing. When in reality, we haven't learned. And people, Joey, Pastor Joey Lancaster sitting here today. And he has even said this to me before. Brother, no is a complete sentence. And they keep saying that to me. People that keep saying things to you over and over again are probably trying to get you to get that thing, okay? No is a complete sentence. That means there's a lot of good stuff out there that we could be doing. But sometimes we even need to look at the good and say, no, not now. Not now. My daughter was in a, a pageant last night. We got home, whoo, 9, 30, 10 o'clock last night. I've seen more eyelashes and, um, and glittery dresses and I could hardly shake a stick at. So we got home and, and we had an, an after party planned. And I'm thinking... I'm preaching in the morning, and I'm tired, and uh, I need to go to bed. But you know what? I said, nope. I've got time. If somebody called me right now, and there was an emergency, and if they had, I would have gone, and my wife would have understood. But if they called me at 1130 at night, and there was an emergency, and they needed me, and they wanted me to come, and they needed prayer and support of their church, I would have gone, and I would have been there. You know who needed me at 11 o'clock last night? My family. And regrettably, a couple of pieces of pizza before I went to bed. <laughs> they needed me last night. Um, we've got to take time to rest. And that doesn't mean you have to sit around and, and, and binge watch, you know, uh, TV all day or something. I mean, if you want to, you can. If you want to get a pot of soup and, you know, watch something worth watching now. But, um, you know, you can do that. Personally, I like to do recreative things. I like to work with my hands. I, I went to see my mom a, a week and a half or so ago and man, she got me out there and I was picking up limbs and, and I, I, it's, I, I bought this shirt after I came back from Georgia because I was out there with my chainsaw and I was cutting wood and I was like, ah, you know, just felt manly, you know, just, just cleaning stuff up. And, and, but it, it wasn't work to me. It was, it was refreshing. It was restful because I was doing something that didn't require me to think, 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 but I was able to just do that. And, and part of balanced living is resting. Part of balanced living is, is taking a step back. Jesus did more in 33 years than anyone ever did who's lived on this earth. But we also see him as we study his word at dinner, laughing, 
and, and enjoying the fellowship of others. If we don't build healthy pleasures into our life, we will get drawn into unhealthy ones. And then number two, we got to avoid destructive pleasures. And I know it's, it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but I'm telling you, we got to avoid. There are good things that we can do, but we got to avoid destructive stuff. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine. It leads to debauchery. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. 2 Peter chapter 2.19, I'm not going to read it, but it talks about being a slave to any, not being a slave to any master. Don't get addicted to anything, any, even good stuff. You can, be, you can be so enthralled in good things that you lose sight of what's most important, and that's God, your family, ministry. I'm going to say something here, and I may get in trouble for this too, but the Goldsboro location doesn't need you serving every single Sunday. You don't do yourself or the kingdom of God any good if you're not being fed at some point. Now, if you want to serve one and, and worship one, then do that. But if all you're doing is, and, and it's a good thing, serving is a good thing, but if that's all you do, you're going to be operating on an empty tank. And you're not doing yourself any good and you're not doing the kingdom of God any good. Titus 2 says in verse 11, for the, for the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. I've got to close. Here's the commitment I want to ask you to keep. I want to ask you to make it and I want to ask you to keep it during this series and it's this. It's that I will seek the truth. We understand that the truth in our life is that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But that God has come that we would have life and have it abundantly. I pray that you will seek the truth. Because this is the pact that Satan wants to make with you. If you won't tell on me, I won't expose you. Keep that little thing hidden back there. It ain't that big a deal. It's not going to make that big an impact. Who's it hurting anyway? When we don't keep pleasure in balance and we are seeking destructive pleasure, it will destroy us. The Bible says that the truth will set us free. Matter of fact, what God tells us is there is nothing hidden that shall not be revealed. So even the devil saying, if you don't tell on me, I won't expose you. That ain't his place anyway. Amen. You know why God will uncover stuff in our life? Because he loves us so much. He doesn't want us going down that path of destruction any longer. So my prayer today is that you will embrace truth. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, for some of us here today, we have built a wall. We have, we have built it so high and construct, constructed it with such craftiness, God, that we believe that maybe it's even invisible that people in our world and in our life don't even see it. The truth is, the wall we've built around us by overindulging in sin has separated us from a healthy relationship with you. 
It has separated us from healthy relationships with our family. And today, you're calling us back. You're calling us back to the truth. See, when we embrace the truth, when we recognize that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy you have come to give us life and give it abundantly. God, when we embrace that truth, we're given a brand new vision for the life that you've given us. We're here today, Lord, and we've overindulged. We've gone too far, too long, and we're not even sure we can get back. And the truth today is that you're here with your arms open wide. And you're saying, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, you're standing with open arms, ready to receive us. We feel like maybe here today that we have indulged so much that there's no way that God could ever forgive me. My shame is too deep. The people I've hurt are too vast. You've even allowed the enemy to convince you that maybe not even God can forgive you for what you've done. Three things in the world. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. The pride of life. None of them. None of them are from you. God, what you have called us to is life. So Lord, as we take this honest moment to consider our own lives... And possibly how self-indulgent we have been. We say, God, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. You want us to have good things. You bless us with good things. But when it's all about us, when it's all about being happy at whatever expense necessary, that's when we start destroying not only our own life, but the lives of those around us. And today, we say enough. Enough. Not making up my mind. I'm not, I'm not drawing a, a, a line in the sand. I'm not concluding something on my own. We're running to you, God. Because it's only in Jesus that we find deliverance. It's only in you, Jesus, that we find forgiveness of sin. So we come with our arms outstretched and our hands open. We bring nothing. We have nothing to give. We come totally surrendered to you. Under your subjection and trusting your grace. 
that you won't reject us, that you won't hate us, that you won't turn us away if we risk taking a chance, that you will love us just as we are. And that you'll forgive us knowing who we are. And God, I believe with all my heart today, as we posture ourselves that way toward you, your arms are open wide, ready to forgive, ready to wipe the slate clean, but not not just clean it, God. Give us a new one, a new life, a new heart. For you so love the world, and whosoever would, whosoever, however ugly the sin, however far and wide the chasm may be, you loved us enough that if we would come to you, you would forgive us and that we could know eternal life. We embrace that truth today and we receive you and your forgiveness into our hearts and into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.